The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you a CEO or ready to become one? Have we got an hour for you. Welcome to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. We're ready to set you up for success. Your reputation with shareholders and clients is important, but standing apart from your competitors is also essential to your success. We'll help you do both. Now, here is your host, Pam Lassiter. Welcome to the CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. I'm your host, Pam Lassiter, and I'm so glad you're with us today in the go-to place for honing the right skills to become a CEO and to stay there as a strategic competitive leader. You can email me at pam at lassiterconsulting.com. Follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Pam Lassiter. Our two guests today are completely on the theme I just mentioned of becoming and continuing to be strategic competitive leaders. First, Ralph Sheridan is managing partner of value management, advising companies as they bring new technologies to market, realign, or secure funding. Did I get that right? Okay. He was CEO of American Science and Engineering, a publicly held company, and CEO of HEC Energy, and is extensively involved in a global leadership group called YPO, Young Presidents Organization, which we'll touch on later. Thank you for being here, Ralph, for taking the time. Delighted. It's fun. You can find Ralph on LinkedIn under Ralph Sheridan and on Twitter at Ralph Sheridan. In addition... We're fortunate to have the fascinating perspective on becoming and continuing to grow as a leader from Dr. Peter Hurst, Associate Dean, Executive Education at MIT. Peter was formerly CEO of Commercialization Consulting and Executive Education at London School of Economics and is heavily involved in the Internet of Things World Forum and advised Parliament in the UK on policy in Physical science, defense, and IT. Peter, they may be knocking on your door again any day now. Has, uh, I'm very happy <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Oh, good. Please. <laughs> I'm happy you're here, too. As a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, MBE, I think I may need to call you Sir Dr. Peter. Is that the right term? <laughs> That's not quite correct. <laughs> Peter will be fine. It, It's very impressive, regardless. Thank you for coming as well. I'm delighted to have your perspective. You can find Peter on executive.mit.edu and LinkedIn under Peter Hurst. Today, we're going to talk about the challenge to change as CEO. You felt it, haven't you? Relentless pressure to change, and we can embrace it or become obsolete. I'm assuming we're all on the embrace it side today, but we're not going to try to cover all types of changes. Today is about the types of changes that you, as a CEO, can initiate to improve your nimbleness and results in four areas. Prioritizing the overwhelming gluts of information, your leadership style, how to adapt to change the 
the neuropsychology of it, too, uh, Peter has some ideas about, and the importance of peers. Ralph and Peter, my guess is that both of you have embraced change, either consciously or unconsciously, your whole lives. I'd like to look at your changes for a second through our two pillars of career management, your industry and your functional. Ralph, you've changed industries on occasion, such as moving from revenue process control to energy engineering services to x-ray security. And you've had to hit the ground running in each one of these companies. I bet you never thought about that before. You just did it, didn't you? See, that's the unconscious change that you did. How did you get up to speed quickly? Because you were in these companies needing to produce right away, and you had to change some of your knowledge of products and services and everything. Well, it was all about thinking about the technology and what was relevant and getting into the digital market. And so if you understand the differences that are important to a marketplace and then think about how you have to introduce them, how you engage customers, and then how you build teams to do that, it's actually a natural progression. So you kept taking it back to the market, and each market spoke its truth, which is what I do with career management, too. It's amazing how smart the market is. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was a great uh, point, too. So that was, that was your transferable skill, was a market focus. Okay. And Peter, you've gone through some changes too. To look at the functional side on your career path, it looked like you've moved from some advisory roles such as to Parliament uh, with Enterprise and uh, as a science and technology consultant over to line jobs like the president of the British American Council of New England on a, and MIT on a couple of occasions. Might you actually uh, love the concept of change and look for it? Yes, I think as you as you describe that journey, it, it it makes it sound like it might have been quite planful, but actually, in many ways, it was much more about uh, I think serendipity and uh, knowing opportunities when 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 you see them and being uh, sort of having the, uh, the 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 ability and the uh, predisposition to take advantage of opportunities uh, when they present themselves, and perhaps to put yourself in the position that you get more of those opportunities uh, coming your way uh, as well. I was really struck, actually, in Ralph's answer as well that you know you talked about change, but in some ways I heard him describe uh, change as growth, which I, I thought was an interesting uh, perspective. Change in himself and in the markets you're talking about. Yes, and he, he, you know, he, he referred, to, I, I think, a little bit uh, to, to, to the sense of, a, of, of adaptive change, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get into talking more about this uh, this later. But I think mm-hmm. uh, in, in these times, one of the challenges that uh, a lot of us are facing is we've been quite successful, perhaps over our over our careers in in, in this sort of adaptive uh, change, uh, mm-hmm. but we're presented with situations that actually are much more transformational in terms of their, their impact and what we need to do to be able to uh, uh, to respond to that. And how we change what's in our brain and how we understand what's going on, how to become the industry expert quickly. And you moving from consulting to line is not always easy because you're representing different sides in the equation. So you had to change your approaches in those changes. And those just came automatically or unconsciously to you? 
No, oh, I don't. A lot of I don't think they came unconsciously. I think that if I if I reflect back, they uh, came from sort of the crucible of experience, and you know, as you say, the shift from being in a kind of an advisory or a consulting role, where in many ways. You know, nobody is expecting or wanting you to, you know, exhibit leadership or be "quote unquote" uh, a, a, a leader. You're there actually to support the success of somebody else who's uh, in mm-hmm. that that role or uh, having to uh, ultimately make those decisions. Uh, mm-hmm. To being the person that actually uh, people do have that expectation uh, of, or are, are looking to, uh, to to exercise leadership or be a leader in in, in, in that sense. And I think that. Uh, very often, you know, now I would say with even more experience that uh, hopefully I'm managing to sort of blend both aspects uh, of that, that, you know, oftentimes being a leader is still about enabling uh, success in others uh, rather than mm-hmm. um, sort of always being the decision maker on, uh, on everything mm-hmm. or that even being possible. As you get further up, that is clearly the CEO and the senior level jobs role too. And Ralph, mm-hmm. you consciously... You took your market knowledge that you gathered with each one of your changes, and you just integrated that and used whatever you had from your prior experience that was useful, and were able to uh, take the same types of points and needs forward with your new markets. Well, it yes, um, you know, if we step back and we look at what makes successful CEOs, mm-hmm. it's pattern recognition. <laughs> And the, That's great. The more yeah. time and grade, uh-huh. the more experience and the better pattern recognition that mm-hmm. CEOs have. Mm-hmm. And the only challenge is the is the pattern recognition models that mm-hmm. one uses. Mm-hmm. Are they valid across industries? Mm-hmm. And the change is learning how to adapt those pattern recognition skills and amend them so that you are as facile in one industry mm-hmm. as in another. Yeah. No, I love that. That's how we do our market research and career management is pattern recognition. And I hadn't had that, heard that applied to leadership, but that works on both sides, doesn't it? Uh, what I'd like to do with our first segment is to think about where in your own career you've done reinvention. And you see that Ralph and Peter have done reinvention and rethinking throughout their careers. And you have too. And the challenge we're going to look at today is to continually keep doing it, only consciously now. That's just what Peter was saying. And now that we're a leader, we can actually, we know that we have different skill sets. You were too, Ralph. And let's leverage them and take advantage of leading others. Even if you're not changing jobs or companies or titles, even if your company is thriving, you still need to change. Go back to listen to some of the earlier CEO academies, the one 10 things a CEO must do with Rick Burns. He talks about we need to break ourselves. And when we're doing really well, the risk is complacency. So it's continually breaking and reinventing. So that's the challenge for the work and for today as well. We have Any other thoughts about change, Ralph or Peter? I think maybe maybe just to add to what you what, what you were describing there, Pam. I I, I see that um, sort of the need for change uh, and the environment that's changing around us, uh, the, the, 
the characteristic of this has actually changed compared with a few decades uh, ago, where mm-hmm. you know, we've always had change throughout human history, but they've tended to be, particularly the technologically driven ones, step function changes. And mm-hmm. you know, if you didn't adapt to the new reality for a while, that was okay. You had a sort of a finite step that you had to catch up to the, you know, to your peers or the rest of the uh, the world or capabilities with, and there was some time to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. But almost whatever you measure now, the the, the, the the pace of change has been exponential, and so it's gone from these step functions to a curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you're not really in this state of ability to be constantly adapting and learning, uh, and you're not, you fall off that curve, you're very quickly going to get further and further behind it. That's a, that's a very different dynamic. It's, you know, that, that's putting yourself in a position that you have to be able to continuously adapt and change, which you, were, I think, were describing, mm-hmm. uh, versus, yeah, yeah, I'm good for this decade, uh, for this technology, <laughs> and then I can re- yeah. reskill at some point uh, when I need to. Uh, this yeah. is a very different scenario. It is, and it affects industry change, too. If we get out of an industry we might like or that might be growing and then try to get back in, you may think you're transferable, but the person on the other side of the desk is seeing that step function. So industry change cuts is affected, regardless of whether or not we're aware of it. We're going to be going on break in just a second, and when we're coming, when we come back, we're going to talk about prioritizing all the information that is overwhelming us right now, and how to change our planning and leverage the information that's coming out, so we can have some decisions that are useful and helpful to react to. See you in three minutes. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Pam Lassiter has written The New Job Security, which details the five best strategies for taking control of your career. It's a Wall Street Journal Award winner. Take control of your career by learning how to use target markets and their challenges to your advantage. The book will dramatically change your resume, your communications, and your financial results. You can find the book on Amazon, including Kindle, or by visiting LassiterConsulting.com. That's LassiterConsulting.com. Lassiter Consulting works privately with senior-level professionals who want a trusted advisor to co-create paths to reach the career outcomes you seek. You can improve your work success in your current company, choose them for outplacement or career change, or explore retirement. Lassiter also works with corporations that are going through change. You may be discreetly transitioning a senior executive out of the company or growing yourself for increased productivity. Put Lassiter Consulting to work for you today. Visit LassiterConsulting.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. To reach the show, send an email with questions or comments to info at ceoacademywithpam.com. 
That's info at ceoacademywithpam.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back from our break. We're talking to Peter Hurst of MIT Executive Education and Ralph Sheridan of Value Management and are heading towards the first two types of changes that you, as a CEO, can initiate to improve your nimbleness, prioritizing the glut of information surrounding you all the time to seizing on its implications and maybe leveraging some of them. Peter, especially in executive ed, I don't know what you can limit out of your radar. You have every country and nearly every subject represented on in your curriculum. Uh, out of mm-hmm. the tsunami, how do you decide what's important to absorb? Uh, well, it's, it, it, it's clearly a very uh, significant challenge to try to nav- navigate a- around all that. Uh, and for me, I think that I tend to come back to trying to think about probably two questions. Uh, you know, what problems uh, am I or should I be trying to uh, to solve uh, mm. for, uh, for the organization? Uh, and, you know, where can I add value? Uh, and uh, you know, given my skills, my experience, uh, my my knowledge, including you know, where my knowledge gaps are. You know, what do I need to, uh, uh, to 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 learn? What don't I know? Which is probably the hardest mm-hmm. question of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding well. ways to, uh, to to understand that. Uh, mm-hmm. I try to use those as uh, as kind of lenses or filters uh, to uh, to think about of, of the vast array of things that uh, I could be uh, consuming and um, putting in my entry. Uh, or you know, meetings I'm deciding to take or not take, uh, or things that I should be reading uh, or mm-hmm. passing on. Uh, I, I, I come at it from that that angle, but uh, you know, I wish there was a an entirely systematic way of of, of doing it. Um, but I think mm-hmm. sort of more of these having some simple rules like that, some simple questions that one asks oneself. Uh, is the most helpful thing I've been able to uh, find yet. I'm curious uh, for someone in Ralph's situation, though, how how he would answer that question. Well, it's trying to chase technology and and staying on top of it it, is just overwhelming. (laughs) Just technology alone. Forget the rest of the world. (laughs) And and I'm I'm in about four different technology segments that that are each very discreet. And it's... It is truly impossible to do this. And so what you try to do, at least in my case, is find one good online newsletter that is specific to a market hmm. and scan, look at that every day and just look at the headlines and only go deeper if it's a headline that's interesting to you. But at least in your mind, you captured the headline and you kind of have a sense of, of where it is and what's going on. The, the other thing that's happening, which is a, a real advantage in a way, is the whole trend towards customer experience. Mm-hmm. And our customers today are really telling us what they want out of technology and what's important. And they're much more demanding. We see that both on the consumer side, we see it on the B2B side, and uh, it's a way of allowing us to figure out which technologies we really should focus on. Oh, interesting. That's your market focus again that you were mentioning in the first segment. You're coming back to listen to the demand from customers. You probably get that too, Peter, right? 
Yeah, and, and actually, I think this connects back to uh, something Ralph said in the last segment about pattern recognition. At, at some level, I'm curious, Ralph, as to whether you do this. I mean, I think that as someone who's looked to in our organization, in our industry, as a uh, in a leadership position to help sort of identify and drive opportunities for innovation, we do have to find ways to let all of this wash over us and see uh, and, and, and hope that we see patterns that maybe others aren't seeing. Uh, mm-hmm. that help us then navigate through and find, you know, whether it's the technology or the, the new disruptive business model that's, that, that, that's coming, you know, in our direction, possibly from a blind spot. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's a great insight. Talking to customers is certainly one, you know, one very, uh, valuable way to do that. And for a lot of people in, in you know, leadership positions, especially in large organizations, uh, they're often, you know, quite uh, unfortunately, disconnected by very many layers of their organization from, from, from customers. So how do we actually uh, get ourselves into a, in, into a position? And I've heard of uh, different executives, different CEOs taking a variety of uh, strategies for, uh, for, for doing that, which might be interesting to, uh, uh, to think about. Explore. You know what you might enjoy is the session on a social media for CEOs and 140 mm-hmm. characters in our series mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. CEOs do handle it differently. But just sitting in the background and reading the tweets that come in every day and having somebody else act on them, all the, the way to John Legere that spends most of his time, the T-Mobile guy, on his Twitter account responding to people too and mm-hmm. and the customers love it too so there's a whole right. continuum but just being aware of it thanks to social right. media once again right. uh, they can you have know, a better it, feeling it, you don't necessarily have to have a high tech approach to this uh, either though I was uh, hearing st- um, uh, some some background or a story about Jeff Immelt's approach to, to this at, at, mm-hmm. at GE um, just at an event uh, a couple of days ago uh, and uh, you know the way that I was described is he uh, works hard to make sure that uh, he gets opportunities to interact in a very personal way, not with his direct reports, but with people more in a kind of a middle management uh, sort of role you know, from anywhere in the GE company, and you know mm-hmm. with a social element. He, you know he'll invite them and their spouse to dinner with 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 him and his wife, and then he'll oh, have some cool. dedicated time the following morning, you know, an hour or two with that person, really understanding, you know, what's going on, you know, within GE and with their customers from that person's perspective. And the fact yeah, that somebody cool. with the, yeah. you know, the amount of responsibility and scarcity of time mm-hmm. that clearly someone mm-hmm. like Jeff Milt must have uh, is devoting that kind of time to do that. Uh, I, yeah. I think that's pretty illuminating. Talk about loyalty. He's going to have a whole train of people following him with that approach too, which is a great uh, testimonial. To That's the internal glut. We have so many gluts of information. The external is overwhelming, but the internal is always there and present too. So that was a good point, Peter, to bring it up. I want to move to one other giant point while we're in this segment too, if I may, about leadership styles. That's another uh, focus for how CEOs can change that we can take initiative about. And I wanted to ask our listeners to, can you define your leadership style? And do you have one style that you apply consistently across all situations? Or do you have a selection of styles, like a pitcher is having a fastball, a curve, a changeup, depending on who the batter is? Now, I want to get to Ralph about a story for 
how you've changed leadership styles before. But big picture first, Peter, many of your programs teach about leadership styles. And do you find one that's the predominant style that is trending these days that people are using? Uh, in truth, I, I, I don't know that I would say that there is one uh, particular style that uh, seems to be winning out. I would say that with the exception that maybe I think that the notion of distributed leadership, uh, you know, one of our faculty wrote a paper a few years ago, uh, the title of which was In Praise of the Incomplete Leader. Oh, uh, Deborah and, and that's really recognizing yeah. uh, that the... Uh, you need to surround yourself with uh, with, with a team uh, mm-hmm. and be able to lead, but also willing to create the space in which others can uh, uh, can develop their own leadership um, sort of contributions to uh, you know to your organization, to your to, to your business. So mm-hmm. I would say maybe this sort of notion of of, of distributed and collaborative leadership uh, in. Especially in very fast pacing and complex, uh, fast moving and complex businesses and technology driven businesses often have that characteristic, I think. Yeah, now that's a great article too. Uh, you don't have to be perfect either as a leader, is one thing it gives the CEO space on too. Uh, Ralph, tell me about the time when you consciously changed leadership styles. Um, I have two, but the, the first was when I was at Combustion Engineering. And I was the the VP of business development, M&A, and I created a new operating group uh, of $400 million in revenue from four acquisitions and one internal company that we moved into this uh, area. And I wound up shifting to be the VP of operations. And my role was to integrate these businesses on an international basis and identify where we could cross market and where we had technologies that we could share. And I I went from being a guy that was um, kind of a change agent inside combustion engineering and looking for new directions to being in a company that had these international divisions where I was 33 and all the managing directors were over 50. Mm-hmm. And I had to absolutely change my style. I had to listen more. Uh, I had to shift to being very careful about being logic and fact-based. Uh, and and you couldn't do it just on an being American pluck uh, because <laughs> that wasn't always appreciated uh, either in Europe or in Asia. And, and so it was a very conscious change in styles. So you moved, when you're doing the turnaround, it was more a command and control type of style that you needed. When you're under pressure and have to perform quickly, there's not time for consensus and voting. <laughs> well, <laughs> but <laughs> and when I was in American Science and Engineering, to, to Pam's point, we, we went from turning around a company and bringing in four, uh, four team leaders mm-hmm. And what I saw that my role was, was to be out in the marketplace dealing with the heads of state, the, mm-hmm. the cabinet officers that were buying the security technology, and let the guys that I had selected run the company. There is back mm-hmm. to the external market-driven approach you were talking about earlier. So what I would argue is multiple leadership styles. 
And I'm posting a name and a link to an article on my website, LassiterConsulting.com, and my LinkedIn page that's perfect for this topic. It's a classic by Daniel Goleman that goes over the six core leadership styles that he, he identified in his research and how you can thoughtfully adapt your style, as Ralph was talking about, to fit the occasion. It's your fastball and your slider. See you in three minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Lassiter Consulting works privately with senior level professionals who want a trusted advisor to co-create paths to reach the career outcomes you seek. You can improve your work success in your current company, choose them for outplacement or career change, or explore retirement. Lassiter also works with corporations that are going through change. You may be discreetly transitioning a senior executive out of the company or growing yourself for increased productivity. Put Lassiter Consulting to work for you today. Visit LassiterConsulting.com. Pam Lassiter has written The New Job Security, which details the five best strategies for taking control of your career. It's a Wall Street Journal Award winner. Take control of your career by learning how to use target markets and their challenges to your advantage. The book will dramatically change your resume, your communications, and your financial results. You can find the book on Amazon, including Kindle, or by visiting LassiterConsulting.com. That's LassiterConsulting.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. To reach the show, send an email with questions or comments to info at ceoacademywithpam.com. That's info at ceoacademywithpam.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back from the break. Did you see the link to Leadership That Gets Results by Goldman? There's a charge for it from the publisher if you want the whole article, and I gave you a short synopsis on the link. We're talking to Ralph Sheraton of YPO Gold. I just changed your identity. And Peter Hurst of World Forum Internet of Things. I changed yours too, Peter. They're all true. And are moving into our third and fourth topics on the challenge of change as CEO. So our third topic, how can we adapt to change? It's hard. As CEO, self-awareness is a core skill, however, in understanding behavior about change. Our own ability to change helps us understand how we can motivate others as well. Peter, you actually know something of the neuroscience going on in our brains when we think about changing. What's happening? Uh, well, I think the first thing that we should say, that I should say is that I'm not a neuroscientist, uh, so these are concepts that I've been uh, learning along with uh, many of our executive customers in, in our programs from 
some new executive education programs that we've been running, looking at neuroscience and leadership and neuroscience and, uh, and, and, and leading teams. And the two concepts that I think uh, we've really end up focusing on that, particularly for senior executive uh, sort of audiences and customers, uh, are uh, resilience and change. And in some ways, they're, these are two sides of... Uh, of, of the same uh, coin, uh, in as much as you know, why do we need resilience? Well, in fact, we need it because uh, we're in environments that are constantly uh, changing, and we, we we need the ability to, to uh, I think, change ourselves uh, and adapt uh, along with that. Uh, but one of the things that uh, that I've been struck by in, in, in looking into this as well uh, are some ideas that the you know, I heard you say, well, change is very difficult, and we all believe that to be uh, a, a truism, I think. Uh, but, but in fact, if we examine uh, our own lives, as you encouraged Ralph and I to do a little earlier, uh, we've, there's lots of evidence to suggest that, in fact, uh, you know, we, we, we human beings can be pretty good at times uh, at dealing with change and, and, and adaption. In fact, from an evolutionary standpoint, perhaps arguably that's, you know, that's why we, one of the reasons we've been so successful uh, as a species. Uh, mm-hmm. The behavioral uh, sort of equipment um, that, that, that we have that enables us to do, to do that is, of course, what's, what's, what's going on uh, in our brain. Uh, and what we now know from neuroscience is that you know, there was a, a period in, uh, in, in scientific history when we thought that the that the brain was a pretty fixed kind of uh, piece of equipment and that certainly once you'd reached a level uh, of maturity, perhaps in your late teens or early 20s, its ability to change and adapt or grow or replace or replenish itself was pretty much spent. Mm-hmm. I think we're now seeing from the science that that's just not true, that you know, throughout your whole life, uh, actually, the, the the way your uh, your your brain connections are made uh, and remade within your brain mm-hmm. uh, can actually uh, continue to change. There's this concept neuroplasticity, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know intends inten- to describe that. You know, and there are some very compelling examples. People who've been stroke victims, for example, uh, who've really uh, lost a very significant amount of their brain mass. Uh, but still, over time, through a variety of techniques, they've managed to rewire their brains and recover a lot of their uh, their functions. They maybe lost their speech center uh, in terms of the nerves that the, the, the neurons that used to uh, be responsible for that. Uh, and yeah. another part of their brain has been able to uh, to take over that function. Let me take um, that back to CEOs for a second, if I can. Uh, do you sure. find that? Well, Ralph, you had something to say too. Well, I, I was fascinated by what Peter was sharing yeah. with us, and, and this whole concept of lifelong learning mm-hmm. uh, is really the foundation of Young Presidents Organization. Which I want to talk about YPO and Exec Ed about in the category of peers in just a couple of seconds, too. But the, the concept, if we can get to that, but why are, are our brains resisting change? And I think, Peter, you're saying, no, we change all the time, and that's what you're saying. Um, yourself. But there are people who have an attitude where they embrace change and they mm-hmm. love change mm-hmm. and they're, they they seek out uh, intellectual and, and hence neurological growth. Yeah. And, and there are other people that get a little too comfortable in mm-hmm. the space they where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between CEOs that can change and those that can't. And that mm-hmm. is a giant deal. The model I 
came to last night. You know how we have these risk tolerance continuums and scales we decide on of where we're investing? My guess is we have a change continuum, too, that some people will be early adopters. They'll change quickly with the least whim. And some people, I think there's fear underneath a lot of it. And so what I'm proposing is just low bar steps to try. I'm not sure if this is going to work, but let's do a pilot in the company or something that makes it easier. Did your neuroscience come up with any uh, approaches, Peter, in the courses about things that the leaders could be using? So so I think the, the insight, and this comes both from neuroscience and before that from, from, from psychology, uh, is that I think you're right about the issue of fear um, uh, and, and the extent to which the cognitive part of the brain is engaged uh, versus the more sort of primitive parts of the brain that are driven much more by emotions and fear and preservation. And, mm-hmm. and how do you get uh, the processing that you're doing into the cognitive part of your brain and away from the more sort of uh, reactive, responsive ones? <laughs> uh, and actually uh, seeking out uh, data and, uh, and connections between things, uh, mm-hmm. looking for small experiments that you can try, whether it's you know, exploring new markets or new technologies or, uh, or, or, or different ways of uh, engaging with your organization, uh, mm-hmm. that essentially can re- you know, they reduce the magnitude of the risk that you're taking and enable you to, uh, to, to learn uh, and get some feedback. Uh, and, and so change happens through, if you like, it can happen through a series uh, of, of small steps and experiments where you don't know yeah. exactly where you're going or going to end up, but it's more of a directional well, sense. Let's try it. I think self-awareness is going to be critical here. If you don't know that you're scared of change, <laughs> you're mm. not going to change. You're just going to deny everything, too. So getting back to self-awareness. Right. Any, and it's I wanna, a choice. Yeah, well, it's, it's an ongoing challenge, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Any points you want to add to why we don't change, Ralph, before... We move on. Well, fear of failure can be disabling or it can be motivating. And to some extent, it depends upon how much energy you have. And if you're exhausted, it's demotivating. Mm -hmm. And if you you have extra energy uh, and a joie de vivre, so to speak, then 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 change is something that that you embrace yeah uh and and ypo young president's organization we we talk about the zone of discomfort mm. and, and forcing ceos into confronting questions uh, and issues about their behavior and their decision making that is incom- uncomfortable for them to think about and out of that comes comes learning Exactly. And, and self-introspection. And uncomfortable. Actually, that's a perfect segue because I wanted to get into our fourth topic of the importance of peers and being surrounded by peers. A CEO isn't surrounded by peers very often. And you can't just dump all your concerns and questions on your C-level team or your executive group because that's not an appropriate place to hash them out. So this is where both the executive ed programs that you're running, Peter, and the YPO I think could be a critical place for 
to meet your peers and to have some private neutral conversations. Would you tell people a little bit about the structure about YPO? Because we've got three minutes left, and I want to talk to both of you about executive and continuing education. Uh, well, very, very quickly, YPO today is 23,000 uh, CEOs around the world. Uh, we actually have more international members than we do North American members. But to be in it. To be in it, you have to have made president of a company with at least $12 million in revenue by your 40th birthday. So it's a small club to start off with, and those same members propagate through. You're in YPO oh, Gold, may I? Refer to over 40. Well, it's, <laughs> the air. YPO Gold is the over 50 group. <laughs> over 50. Over oh, 50 you just group. outed yourself. Okay. <laughs> Great. So they continue throughout life. But, but the whole precept to this is that uh, as a young president, uh, you have lots of responsibility, you're thrust into a new situation, and where do you go for help? And the place where you can get the most help are are other young CEOs who are going through the same mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. Or, or the young CEOs that have now matured who have been through the same thing you're yeah. going through and can be mentors, mentors to you. Mentors, which you do as well, too. That's perfect. And Peter, I wanted to get your opinion. You're mixing people together. So when you put people together from other countries and other uh, ways of thinking and have them work in teams, do you see magic happening? Oh, for sure. I, th- I think there's uh, the, the, the learning from people with different contexts and lenses and experiences whether they've been uh, you know, addressing similar problems but from different perspectives mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. the problem spaces that they have are different. Uh, I, I think you know, that there's a tremendous amount that we can all uh, learn from, uh, from, from those kinds of uh, interactions and ways of helping each other, actually lasting relationships that, that end up getting formed. And I will say in our executive education programs here at the MIT Sloan School, uh, we actually uh, we both have the approach of sometimes creating uh, engagements and programming that you know, is very specifically intended to bring people together that are, for example, above that. Uh, leadership threshold, uh, mm-hmm. as, as you were describing in YPO, we often also sort of flip it around and say, you know, when we're talking about innovation and innovative leadership, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, even the most senior CEOs to get a lot of value out of interacting with people that they wouldn't necessarily think of as being their peers. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not just anybody. I think it's, you know, you can have, it's back to this distributed leadership sort of notion. You can have people who are, you know, w- not in a CEO position in a very large organization who mm-hmm. are still uh, bringing perspectives and skill sets and uh, uh, knowledge, in, you know, to, in, in, into our programs that, you know, some very senior CEOs still yeah. uh, get a lot out of that interaction, and and, and, yeah. and so I think there's room there's room for both, and it's I think important for the CEO to for both to uh, to, to do both actually engage yeah. with people who so, really are in you know in, in in that same situation as them, engage yeah. with people who are in you know at, at that level, but in with very mentoring to industries. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I apologize. We have to move to break now, but what I'm hearing is that the peer reinforcement and coaching and benchmarking could be one of the best ways for learning of all for that challenge to change and uh, to add on peter your point about the continuing to mentor which both of you are doing 
with the people that are coming up and uh, increasing their skills. That's just what you're doing right now, too. So we're going to go to break right away. And after we come back, we'll have one last point that will be relevant for the rest of your life. And then we're going to summarize next steps. See you in three minutes. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Pam Lassiter has written The New Job Security, which details the five best strategies for taking control of your career. It's a Wall Street Journal Award winner. Take control of your career by learning how to use target markets and their challenges to your advantage. The book will dramatically change your resume, your communications, and your financial results. You can find the book on Amazon, including Kindle, or by visiting LassiterConsulting.com. That's LassiterConsulting.com. Lassiter Consulting works privately with senior-level professionals who want a trusted advisor to co-create paths to reach the career outcomes you seek. You can improve your work success in your current company, choose them for outplacement or career change, or explore retirement. Lassiter also works with corporations that are going through change. You may be discreetly transitioning a senior executive out of the company or growing yourself for increased productivity. Put Lassiter Consulting to work for you today. Visit LassiterConsulting.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter. To reach the show, send an email with questions or comments to info at ceoacademywithpam.com. That's info at ceoacademywithpam.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back from our break. We have a subject that we haven't covered yet that Ralph gets credit for introducing. Then I haven't told him yet what it's going to be. Then we'll summarize and pull together our ideas so you can walk away today with ways to make change as a CEO easier and maybe even fun. Ralph, we were talking about how change didn't happen in a vacuum. You don't change just at work. We may end up changing as people by accident. What if you've decided to change to better fit your new industry and customer, as you need to do, and as the new T-Mobile CEO did, and his wife could wake up some morning next to him and say, John, you you were in Hermes ties and now you're in tattoos, your profanity and pink t-shirts every day. This isn't the guy I married. What's with this? So what are the broader implications of change? Well, the broader implications of change and where I think you're headed is it's it's not only staying on top of our business, our technology, our competition, but it's about our family and ourself. Yeah. And if we can foresee and develop strategies for handling things that will come up in family situations, it gives us more energy and more time to address other things. Because if we're unbalanced in family, mm-hmm. we are 
are going to be unbalanced at work. And is it vice versa too? And, and, and frankly, that's one of the things in YPO, in Young Presidents Organization, is we spend a lot of time on family issues and personal issues because they do affect leadership and resiliency mm-hmm. for, for one's role as a CEO. And where your energies are. And do changes at work come back home too? Works either way? It it works mostly the other way. And, and really? I, I think I'm a much better CEO since I've had a teenager. And, and, <laughs> it's humbling. And, and, uh, <laughs> who just graduated from college. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we were late bloomers. And I didn't have my son, and or we didn't have our son until I was 45. Mm-hmm. And the patience that is needed uh, with a with an adolescent mm-hmm. uh, really plays great dividends at work. Oh, interesting. You see parallels. Absolutely. Okay. Peter, what about you? Do you see this challenge to change uh, interacting with the life outside of work as well? Um, I, I, I think it's inevitable. I love the way the, the, the story that Ralph just told there. Uh, I've also seen plenty of uh, instances where, uh, you know, executives who've gone through some, you know, sort of change of approach and style and maybe sort of developing their set of tools um, that has been driven by performance and needs in the work context have actually mm-hmm. had be- taken those home and had them being able to improve their home life. I, I hear that all the oh, time. For example, you know, a very successful program we run on, on negotiations, which is all about business. Uh, I would say at least half of the feedback that I hear about that program is people saying, I've really learned something that was valuable to me in, 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 in my sort of home life uh, and how I manage my relationships and understand differently these that these are negotiations. I never thought of them like that before. <laughs> so you're saying negotiation skills are learning at MIT. They're softening a little probably and using at home as well? Um, essentially, I'm not even sure if they're softening them because the, the approach to <laughs> negotiation that we that, that we that we talk about is very much a sort of realizing that negotiations in most meaningful settings in business are not zero sum. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just here to beat you, and then you're I'm never mm-hmm. going to have to interact with you again, or nobody else is going to see how I you know how I be- behaved in that particular negotiation. Yeah. That they really are about relationships and a series of. Uh, uh, of, of ongoing interactions that mm-hmm. are both, uh, you know, observed by others, uh, which is so very similar to the notion of what happens in a family setting, um, that, you know, maybe your children see how you uh, negotiate difficult uh, decisions with your with, with your spouse, and that affects those relationships. So mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's lots of, of, of parallels uh, here that, that, that can be very productive. So it's not just a compartmentalized a skill. It's to be able to change as a CEO. You can bring it home and bring home back to work, those same skills. Is that fair? We have three and a half minutes left. Do you all have one walkaway point that you would like to leave with our audience about the challenge to change? I think uh, I'll use the words of, of one of my good friends, Doug Kahn, who is both a YPOer and he's uh, a CEO of a life sciences company, Tetragenetics. And he and I both invest in Launchpad Venture Group and early mm-hmm. startups. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about why we do this. And Doug's comment was, this forces him to think about new technologies and about new business models. Interesting. And he, he's doing something outside of his business norm 
specifically to force himself to think about new ideas, new concepts. Which is smart, new exposure to uh, Peter, 20 seconds of a walk away idea. Sure. I would say that, you know, Change is not an option, but it is a choice, and it's something that you have to proactively take steps uh, to do. And, mm-hmm. and as Ralph was talking about, think of it as growth. Uh, don't think of it as reaction. As change. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, as growth. My one walk-away tip is, where do you think? Where do you, Where's the best place for you to think? And giving yourself some time to plan. I've talked to people that do it when they're exercising, when they're walking the dog, when they're taking a shower, but just if you can think about where you do think, you can save your to-do list and <laughs> for that walk you were taking and then have everything worked out by the time you get back. So you need time to plan all this too. I'd like to wrap up by first of all, thanking Ralph and Peter. We couldn't have given you the range and quality of options today without their talents. Dr. Peter Hurst, Associate Dean, Executive Education at MIT, and our IOT guy. Thank you for coming, Peter. Great job. Pleasure. You can find it was great to hear your ideas. You can find him on executive.mit.edu and Ralph Sheridan, managing partner of value management and leadership of YPO Gold. LinkedIn at Ralph Sheridan and Twitter at Ralph Sheridan. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. We wouldn't be here without you. Please continue listening to all of the wisdom of amazing CEOs on the CEO Academy audio files, which are on my website, LassiterConsulting.com, and Voice America. Email me at Pam at LassiterConsulting.com. Follow me on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I am your host, Pam Lassiter, and you have just listened to the CEO Academy. Thank you for joining us. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to join us for another edition of CEO Academy with Pam Lassiter next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week for more tips from the professionals as you grow your career and your company to the top. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management 